Today is Palm Sunday, and I actually want to read out of Daniel 9, if you have your Bible. Look at verse 24 through 27. This is uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel, one of the most important sections in all the Bible. And it's Gabriel talking to Daniel. So the angel Gabriel is speaking, and he says this to Daniel, who is a Jew. He says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So 70 weeks in the Hebrew language, it's sevens, 70 sevens. And so you look at the context, it's 77 year periods. 77 year periods are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, who's that? That's Jesus, huh? There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So what is seven and 62 total? 69, right? You guys graduated from that math class and so... 69 seven-year periods, it says to restore and from the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, as Jesus, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And then after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. What does that mean? You mean killed, right? Cut off, but not for himself. Who did he die for? Can you say this? He died for me. He died for me. He died for us, right? But not for himself. And then it goes on to describe how the Romans would eventually in 70 AD, AD 70, they would uh, come and destroy Jerusalem. It says, and the people of the prince who is to come, that's how we know that the Antichrist will come from the revived Roman Empire, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it shall be with a flood until the End of the war, desolations are determined. And then he talks about one more week, because remember there's 70 weeks, and that last week is the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. And so this is Palm Sunday, and you're like, well, what does that have to do with it? The, the reason is, and it's so important, I wish everybody knew this, like, you know, inside and, and outside and upside down and backwards and inside out and all that. It's really cool because the Bible is so clear it basically says that from the, uh, the command to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem, which was an issue of Artaxerxes, the king in Persia, which took place on March 14th, 445 BC, there would be 69 seven-year periods until Jesus came. So all you have to do is do the math. And so you're like, okay, March 14th, 445 BC, you do the math, 173,880 days, that's the math. And that brings you to April 6, 32 AD, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, we should all know that, because that is one of the most amazing prophecies in all the Bible. You know, when Jesus was here doing ministry, he kind of 
you know, was discreet about his identity. He didn't want people really to have this public uh, manifestation of who he was. You know, when he healed the leper, he said, hey, don't tell anybody. Or the blind man, don't tell anybody. Or even when he was revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, they came down and they said, Lord, this is who you are. And he says, yeah, but don't tell anybody. Not yet. It wasn't time yet. There would be a day, a day, an actual day, 173,880 days after March 14, 445 BC, where Jesus would say, okay, guys, go into the town. I want you to get a donkey, bring him to me. No one's ever ridden on that donkey. And what I want you to do is bring him to me because on this day, not only am I going to fulfill Daniel chapter 9, I'm going to fulfill Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 because in Zechariah it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and lowly, having salvation, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so, you know, for us as Christians, the, one of the ways that we know the Bible is supernatural, one of the ways that we know Jesus is who he is, is because he fulfilled all the prophecies. The Bible fulfills all the prophecies. 25% is prophetic. And here we have one of the most amazing prophecies. Aaliyah was sharing with us earlier what they said to Jesus when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and they had their palms. Palms are, are symbolic of victory. And they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And that was a quotation from Psalm chapter 118. So Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. Psalm 118 is the loudest psalm. Anyone who knows the psalms knows that Psalm 118 is all about the Messiah. It's all about the Christ. It's all about him. It says in that chapter right there that the stone which the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And everybody knew that that was the Messianic psalm. As a matter of fact, in that psalm, Psalm 118, did you guys know that this verse is there? It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, that's an interesting verse. We like to quote it every day, and it is true. It's a beautiful day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But really contextually, what that verse is talking about is this day, Palm Sunday, the day, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. It would be the Sunday before the Passover, and that was the day the Jews would actually select the lamb that they would sacrifice. And it was just so amazing. Can you visualize Jesus riding on a donkey going into Jerusalem? For those of you who have gone to Israel with us, it's so amazing when you see that pathway that Jesus rode on that donkey. Can you visualize all the people? Josephus says there's probably close to 3 million visitors there because they would be there for the holiday. And Can you visualize them all just saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Whenever a king would come on a donkey, he would come in peace. You see, when you're coming for war, you're going to come on a stallion, right? You're going to come on a horse. But when they came on a donkey, he would come in peace. And that's what Jesus has done today. That's what Jesus has done for us. If you can visualize him coming into your life, coming into your you know, pathway on a donkey, extending a relationship that he wants to have with you. What do you say? Will you accept Christ? Will you follow him? 
Will you believe in him? It's amazing when you look at that whole scripture. As a matter of fact, later on in Luke chapter 19, verse 42, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And he said, if only you would have known this day, your day. You know, and I don't know where you guys are at in your relationship with the Lord, but if you haven't accepted Christ as he comes in on a donkey, then one day you're going to face him when he comes back on that horse. If you don't accept him as your savior today, then one day you will face him as your judge. And so I pray that every heart here is sold out and surrendered to the sweet love of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you on that cross. And this whole week, I hope you guys would subscribe to us, uh, to the YouTube channel, because my prayer is to get some of the pastors and some of the people, and we'll just, let's do, make this a special week. Let's get some videos and audios, and let's talk about this beautiful week as we lead, as we lead towards um, Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday. And the, the main thing is this, that if you have not yet accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that's why you're here today most important thing in the whole world, the most important decision you will ever make. Have you accepted Christ? If you haven't, please do that today. And if you're here and you're half-hearted, you're you know, one foot in and one foot out, my prayer is that today God would grip your hearts in such a way that you would just say, I'm all in. I'm all in. We don't have, you know, what it takes. We're not worthy or able, but you just come as you are. You don't have to wait and clean up your life because you can't clean it up your life. You're only going to make it worse. Just come the way you are. I pray that you would. You know, you might look at Palm Sunday, and I want to make a transition here. And, you know, we know what it symbolizes. What if, though, one day it became not Palm Sunday, but Palm Sunday? Hey, Palm Sunday, like, that's weird, huh? What if over time, Palm Sunday became Palm Beach Sunday and everybody on this day would go to Palm Beach, Florida? What if something like that happened? Now, you may think that sounds silly, but I'll tell you what, given enough time, given enough tension, stuff like that happens all the time. What we find in the history of the world is oftentimes the sacred becomes secular, and that's kind of what I want to share with you today. In light of what the Lord has done, how important it is for us to make sure that the sacred remains sacred. And no matter how far along you are in your relationship with the Lord, that you would want more of God, more of the power of the Holy Spirit, more of a passion for Him. Because like I said earlier, I think the only way to protect ourselves from going backward is by growing forward. You know, the sacred becomes secular. And, you know, I, I think that we all know, we've seen this in the history of our world, even in our own country. As I speak today, and it's happening in universities and denominations and congregations and even in Christians themselves, where they once used to serve the Lord, but now the sacred has become secular. Sacred meaning that they were set apart for God. Secular meaning they're more and more ungodly they're godless god less and less and less god and that can happen to a nation and happen to the united states of america it can happen to a denomination where they're swept away it can happen to a congregation and this is why as a pastor i'm sharing this with you because i love you 
and I want you to stay on track, and I want you not only to go to heaven when you die, but take as many people with you on the journey. I want you to enjoy God. And so Demas is an example in the Bible of this guy that served with the Apostle Paul, but he, he split. The Bible says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And the sacred can become secular. It just takes time. It just takes tension. It takes pressure from maybe the scientists or maybe society. Next thing you know, it happens right in front of your eyes. Easter break becomes what? Spring break. Christmas break, for those of you guys who are old enough like me, you remember, that's, that's how we called it. But now it's called winter break. Even the very chronicles of time suffer. There was a day when Jesus was the very hinge upon which time stood. And you look at Abraham and you say, Abraham, this guy was back in 2000 BC, 2000 before Christ, 2000 years before Christ. David, 1000 BC, 1000 years before Christ. But now we've erased all that, right? And now what do we say? 2000 years before the common era. 1,000 years before the common era. Now, you know, we would say uh, today is the year 2021 and uh, 2021 of the common era. But there was a time not that long ago that we would refer to it as AD 2021, right? You guys remember that? That's from the Latin words anno domini, which means the year of our Lord. So they've taken before Christ away. They've taken the year of our Lord away. And replaced it with the common era. It's not Easter break, it's spring break. It's not Christmas break, it's winter break. And it just happens everywhere you look. You know, something a little different, but definitely related, and I think helpful to us, is what's happened in our universities. You know, in the first 100 years of our nation's history, there was the establishment of 108 colleges in our country. And did you know that 106 of them were formed by Christians and built upon Christian principles with a commitment to spread the gospel of Christianity via academics? All the Ivy schools were full-on Christian colleges established for the sake of educating the clergy and raising up Christian academic institutions to meet the needs of perpetuating Christian faith, and so they were formed for the advancement of Christianity, and they met the needs of the new world. Schools like Harvard and Yale were originally Puritan. Princeton was originally Presbyterian. Did you know, did you guys know, how many of you knew that Harvard was named after a pastor? That was his name. That was his last name, Harvard. When this pastor died, he gave all of his books to the school, 4,000 books to the school. And so they named it after him. Yale was started by clergymen, and Princeton's first year of class was taught by a reverend. His name was Jonathan Dixon. Even today, Princeton's crest, it still says, De Sib Numi Vigit. I don't know Latin too well, but I can read it kind of with phonics and... Uh, I know if you guys, uh, we have this crest right here. It's still their crest today. Um, it says this. It translates, under God, she flourishes. That, that's Princeton University. You know, the same Christian conviction is true across the seas. Those universities of Oxford and Cambridge and the University of Edinburgh. I mean, 
you know, you look at the origin and you realize there's no doubt about the fact that they were established and one time they were set apart, one time they were sacred. They were sacred. But now they're not just, you know, they're not for God, they're not neutral. Now they are against God. I recently heard the testimony of Eric Metaxas, and he was kind of raised in a, in a fairly Catholic uh, uh, upbringing. He knew a little bit about God, knew uh, a little bit about the faith, and he had the sliver of faith going into Yale University, but by the time he got out, man, talk about uh, destroying his faith. And so, you know, the lesson for us is that if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And what's happening in the Western civilization, how the sacred is becoming secular at an exponential rate, is now, unfortunately, happening in the church. And that's why, you know, we bring these studies to you guys, because my prayer is, is not just that it won't happen to you, not just that, you know, you, you won't backslide. My prayer is that God himself will get a hold of your heart. And your fire for the Lord will grow and ignite and explode. Because he made us. He loves us. He maintains us. He gives us every breath we breathe. Don't let the sacred become secular. I mean, we're in the world. Don't get me wrong. We love the people of this world. We love every single person in this world. We are in the world, but we must not be of the world. And if we're not careful, that sacred can very easily become secular. I was amazed to read the original rules and precepts for the student who attended Harvard University. You know, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but allow me to share a couple of paragraphs. One paragraph, it says this, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. John 17, verse 3. And therefore, to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning, and seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Proverbs 2 and 3. Everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day. So imagine that Harvard University You know, they said, hey, if you want to come to school here, then you have to read your Bible twice a day and make sure you have that time of secret prayer with God. Uh, If you want to come to Harvard University, you have to lay Jesus as the foundation and build all your knowledge up on him. Can you imagine that? If they did that today, that's illegal. (laughs) You know, one more paragraph. It said, every scholar shall be present in his tutor's chamber at the seventh hour in the morning immediately after the sound of the bell at his opening the scripture in prayer. So also at the fifth hour at night, and then give account of his own private reading. As aforesaid, in particular, the third rule, and constantly attend lectures in the hall at the hours appointed. But if any, without necessary impediment, 
shall absent himself from prayer or lectures, he shall be liable to admonition. And so what are they saying? You want to go to Harvard University? Then at 7 a.m. you got to show up and you got you to tell us how you're doing in your Bible reading. You've been reading your Bible? You've been praying? This is Harvard University. Not just 7 a.m., 5 p.m. you come and you do it again. And then if you don't do it, they say at Harvard University that you're going to get in trouble. So imagine that. You know, it goes on to say in Article 8 that if any scholar shall be found to transgress any of the laws of God, then you would be whooped. Not in those exact words, but... And so I just, I bring that to you only to tell you that the sacred can become secular and overwhelmingly secular. You know, you look at the past secularization. You know, I, I wonder what came first, the chicken or the egg? How many of you guys think it was the egg? Most of you guys would probably wouldn't say that, but you never know. Genesis 1, God, maybe egg hatched, I don't know. More than likely, though, it was the chicken. And so here's a question for you. What came first, the, the secularization of the world or the secularization of the church? Or how does it all work? You know, is it the world that's influencing us? Is Hollywood a reflection of society? Or is Hollywood perhaps a minority that's infecting society? Now, you're going to have different opinions on that, but it it makes you think. All I know is this. The Western civilization has become secular, and more and more what we're seeing now is the church has become secular. We need to learn from the past. As a matter of fact, uh, a really easy verse to memorize. You guys ready for this? Luke 17, 32. Remember Lot's wife. Can you guys memorize that verse? <laughs> Remember Lot's wife. Now that's a fascinating context because that was when God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, Right? And God brought Lot out, God brought his wife out, God brought his two daughters out. And as they're split in the scene and as they're running away from the judgment and the fire and the brimstone that this good, gracious, holy, patient, long-suffering God is bringing upon this city, that they're running away, Lot's wife turns around to go back. And some say, well, I don't understand. Why did God, you know, turn her into a pillar of salt? All she did was look back. No, she wanted to go back to the world that God had brought her out of. And Jesus tells us the easiest verse to memorize, Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. And so for us, it's important to learn from the past And we can give you many examples. I think even at the church of Ephesus, the Bible says they left their first love. That can happen to us. You know, when you look at history, what we find today, words thrown around like Protestant liberalism or liberal theology. Protestant liberalism is the movement to replace biblical theism with modernism and what they call higher biblical criticism. And it's important for us, I think, to know these things because basically, in a nutshell, what they're saying, all the smart people are saying, you don't need this. You don't need the Bible. You know, and what they say is that we've kind of grown smart and intelligent and we've experienced the Enlightenment period 
And, you know, to be honest with you, Manny, that Bible, it's really not really God's word. And here, let me take a look at the Bible and let me tell you, oh, Jesus said this and Jesus didn't say that. And, and that's what they do when Jesus himself said every jot and tittle would come to pass. I'm sorry, Professor so-and-so, but I believe Jesus and not you. Every jot, every tittle, all scripture is inspired by God. God breathed, theonutos. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So they'll tell you, no, we can replace the, the Bible with modernism, the you know stuff that we're learning in science, and then we can replace it with higher criticism and we'll tell you what's true and what's not true in the Bible. Then why do you even need the Bible? You're the Bible. You made yourself the Bible. Listen, I know what Jesus said. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus said the scriptures cannot be broken. And so really at the end of the day, I think if we want to protect ourselves from secularism, is we have to feed ourselves the word of God. Less of the world, more of the word. You don't have to be super smart to figure out whether or not you'll be sacred or secular by just understanding the simplicity of it, that the world, through Hollywood, through media, through all the things that they're throwing in our face, even sometimes their educational systems, you know, all the guys that we see, they're famous, they're the ones that are feeding us and we're taking it in. We think it's just entertainment and it's not. That's why, you know, guys, um, I don't want to sound legalistic, man. I don't. I don't want to sound legalistic. But I'm telling you, read this Bible. Take 72 hours to read the whole Bible. That's not a lot. You know, I've always told you guys that it kind of takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Why is that? Because you get the full counsel of God. You get to understand that he is gracious and loving and you know, he's also holy. And, you know, you get like the big picture of God. I mean, there's so many things. You know, the Old Testament reveals God and what he did through Israel and how they raised him up. And then the New Testament is Jesus. In the Old Testament, you had the, the, the name Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh was predominant. But in the New Testament now, this is the name of Jesus. Jesus. When you read the Bible, you start reading it, you're like, wow, it's Jesus. And so my prayer, you guys, is that we would understand what's going on and how secularism has, man, done so much damage. You know, they, they, what ends up happening is it, it infiltrates the church. They don't teach the Bible. Next thing you know, people that are sitting in the pews just like you, they, they question the teachings. They, they question, well, mom and dad talk about a place called hell, and was Jesus really born of a virgin? And, you know, when, when Jesus rose again, was it really in his body? And, and you mean to tell me that God's telling me that I need to wait until I get married to be sexually intimate? And, and you mean to tell me that every single word here is inspired by, by God? And, and, you know, people question all these doctrines. And, and what ends up happening over time is that if you're not reading your Bible, then, yeah, you, you just 
I don't know. You kind of develop your own opinions. But when you read it for yourself, you read it for not just what mom and dad told me, not what pastor so-and-so told me, but when you read it for yourself, it becomes solidified within you. Churches more and more are sacrificing confessional conviction on the altar of cultural relevance. That the secular, it has this demand, and eventually it's a call to abandon all doctrine and teaching. They, they, hey, if that conflicts with the spirit of the age, I'm going to choose that. You know, don't get me wrong, you guys. I'm not saying that the church will die because the church will never die. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So we're not talking about the church's existence. We're talking about the church's power, the church's purity, the church's faithfulness. This is what's at stake. You know, the other day I heard an interview of a prominent pastor's daughter and a famous Christian rapper and my heart just broke. Because I saw it with my, I heard it with my own ears. The sacred had become secular. How are they doing this? How are they, you know, secularizing the sacred? It happens usually uh, subtly, you guys. You know, let's all take a deep breath. (sighs) That feels good, huh? (laughs) I know for me, what's happening and what we see happening in the world is that we are breathing in the culture. It's hard to escape it. We are just breathing it in. And that's why, in a subtle way, we're becoming what they say. This is why it's important to read the Bible, because when I read the Bible, I can say, okay, this is what the story of Moses is. This is the Ten Commandments. And then I watch the movie. Okay, I love the movie. I love the movie, but it's a little different. It's a little different, huh, than what the Bible says, right? And so it's, it's kind of cool. I, I'm not trying to tell you guys go live in a cave and become a monk and you can never go to the movies or listen to, to beautiful music. I'm not saying that. But when you know the Word of God, when you know it, well, now I can watch it and I can actually see, well, that is a lesson, but that's not. I watch, you know, a Disney movie and I learn spiritual lessons sometimes. But it's only because first I have this grid of theology. You know, the world today, they'll tell you, you don't need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just an example for us, right? Right? And they, they tell us these are the mores and these are the morals. And so for us, what we find is the world is getting louder and the word is getting lesser. And it happens in the churches. And so what we want to do and what I encourage you guys to do, every time you come here, you bring your Bibles and you know we're going through a series right now and it's a little different than what we normally do because I just want to bring this awareness to you guys. I I pray that you would have an understanding of the world that we're living in. Like we talked about the sons of Issachar, they understood the times so that they would know what Israel ought to do. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Ask who? Ask God. God, what can I do for my family? What can I do for my flock? What can I do for the future of my nation? And as God leads, it's so cool. And so as you're reading the word, 
This is all I'm saying is let the word of God get louder and kill the noise. Let the word of the world grow dim. You want to know what's going on, but you don't want it to be your main appetite. You know, like we've said many times, it's okay for the boat to be in the water. It's just not good for the water to get into the boat to the point where it starts sinking. And Jesus talked about that in John chapter 17. How many of you guys have the sticker? Not of this world. Any of you guys have the sticker? Come on. Where's Jerry yet? I think he has one. (laughs) Not of this world. I, I am in the world. I love the world. I love the people of the world. I love them with all my heart. I don't look down on anyone. But I know what my word says. And if someone asks me a question, a direct question, I can't sidestep it. I can't backpedal. I can't capitulate. Manny, what do you believe about you know, gay marriage? I'm not going to pull a Lauren Daigle. I'm not going to pull a Carl Lentz. I'm not. I mean, you know, Chris Pratt, I, he's a Hollywood celebrity, and so he backpedaled, and that's one thing. And Lauren Daigle, she's a Christian musician, and she backpedaled, and that's one thing. But this guy, Carl Lentz, was a pastor. And they asked him in front of the whole wide world, what's your view on it? Well, you know, I'm not really, uh, I can't really say too much. And no, this is what we can say. Listen, I love you, but I, I believe it's sin. I understand this struggle. I believe completely that there is a struggle going on. But listen, I struggle with sin too. And all I can say is what, the Bible says, and I agree with God, but I love you. And I got to say that really quickly because they might try to take my statement out of context and call me a hater. I'm not a hater. I'm a lover, but I won't bow down. I won't be silent because that's what we call passive secularization. And so... You know, the, the bummer is sometimes you get Christians who are mean-spirited. You can't do that. But make sure you say it real quick. I, I, I do believe it's sin, but I, I love you. And here's what I, I just want to encourage you. You know, it's all about Jesus. All I can tell you is, is I'm a sinner. And one day I gave my life to Christ and he came in and he changed me. You know, you want to know how I know that hell is real? Number one, because the Bible says it. But number two, because I believe that I deserve to go there. I believe that I deserve to go there. I, I, I learn about God. I learn about his holiness. I learn about his majesty. And then I'm, I'm familiar with my own sinfulness. And I realize who I've sinned against. I've sinned against God. So I, I know I deserve to go there. But man, I gave my life to Christ and he showed me mercy. I'm not going to go there and he's given me grace and I will go to heaven when I die because I'm washing the blood of Jesus. And this gospel that God gives to us is so beautiful. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Because before you have the good news, you got to hear the bad news. We're all sinners. It doesn't really matter what the sin is. It doesn't. We're all sinners 
in need of his Savior. And so if we're not careful, the sacred will very quickly become secular. You know, have you guys ever heard that phrase, watershed? We're living in a watershed moment, in a watershed world, where in many ways, this is the issue. I mean, recently, I don't know if you guys heard, but Oral Roberts University made it to the Sweet 16 in the March Madness basketball tournament. And so the whole world says, hey, they shouldn't be there because, you know, their Christian beliefs conflict with my cultural beliefs. And so, do you understand that it's not something that we're necessarily starting? It's something that we're, we find ourselves in. Don't capitulate. Don't cave in. You know, in the world, you know, the Bible says, John 3.16, that God loves the world. God loves the people of the world. But the ways of the world are what is fallen. And you've got to know that. You got to know that First John five nineteen says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, and so First John chapter two verse fifteen it says do not love the world, and James chapter one and verse twenty seven it even says don't be spotted by the world. That's a stain. You guys ever get a stain in your clothes? You're like, oh bummer. That's what he's talking about. James chapter four verse four it says don't be friends with the world, and Romans chapter twelve and verse two it says don't be conformed to this world. And that verse is very important because that verse says, don't think like the world. The world has a way of making you think a certain way. And the only way that you can be free from that, because like I said, we're breathing in the culture every single day. You can't escape it, especially you young people, right? You find yourselves on social media. I'm not going to be a legalistic guy that tells you you can't. But man, be so careful. You know, because I guess in one sense, we've heard that old saying, you know, you have two lions inside of you. Which lion wins? The one you feed the most. You feed the good lion, you're going to be okay. And that's why I encourage you to go forward in your Bible reading. A true church does not give a non-answer to a direct Bible question. And so we find ourselves, and I'm going to close with this. It's crazy, you guys. I mean, I, I, we could talk about this all day, but I know um, you guys are getting hungry. I can hear your stomachs grumbling already. And it's good. Huh? Isn't food good? God has blessed us in so many ways with so many things that we enjoy together, especially the fellowship part of it, huh? But, you know, um, things can get so bad that even today in Canada, they have... Actually, a church down there with a pastor who is an atheist. Can you believe that? That's when the church is just a social club. Like, we just come to hang out. We just come to kind of like do good deeds in the community. We don't want to learn the Bible. We don't want to learn, like, doctrine. We don't want to repent, whatever, you know. And so that can happen. I think there's a lot of churches who have pastors who don't know God, who don't pray to God, who don't have a relationship with God. I think there's a lot of churches probably like that. But to have a church with a, with a pastor who openly says there is no God, that can happen. The sacred can become secular. And here's the key right here. And I say this lovingly, And I I say this in all simplicity. All my life since I became a Christian, 
God put this in my heart. I want you to read this book. I want you to read this love letter. I want you to discover who I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm God. I'm a holy, but I'm loving. And I have a plan for your life. Why is it so hard for us? When I became a Christian, God said, you read that Bible and you read it to live it. You learn about me. It's not just head knowledge, but you read it with sincerity. And as we do, the sacred not only stays sacred, I think in one sense, I don't know if you guys realize how how this works, but you can fall even more deeply in love with God. I wanted to share this because I've just been thinking about it a lot lately. But not a day goes by where my appreciation for my wife grows. Every day I trip out. I'm like, man, I scored. You know, neither of us are perfect, but she's my wife. I thank God for her. And I'm telling you, you know, because sometimes marriages go the opposite way. And I'm not saying I got it all together, but I can honestly say to you that every day I am more grateful for her. And what's true in this relationship, I think should be true in that relationship. God has so much more for you. The key is um, right here. You get into this. I was reading a story, and I'll close with this. It's about a devout father whose son was studying for the ministry. And the son decided to go to Europe for an advanced degree. And the father worried that his simple faith would be spoiled by sophisticated, unbelieving professors. Don't let them take Jonah away from you, he admonished, figuring the swallowed by a great fish story might be the first part of the Bible to go. I think we have a story of, or yeah, we have a picture. Imagine that, Jonah. Do you guys believe in that? Do you guys believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? That's kind of like, a lot of times, the first thing they'll take, oh, come on. Listen, all you have to do is get past verse 1. In the beginning, God said, let there be Lie. Let there, he created the heavens by their Anything. One guy said, I would believe it if God said Jonah swallowed the whale. I mean, you name it. If God said it, that's all that matters, right? But that'll be one of the first things they'll, they'll take away. And so he tells his son, okay, when you go off to college, make sure they don't take that fish story away from you. Well, two years later, when the son returned, the father asked the son, do you still have Jonah in your Bible? And the son laughed. Jonah, that story? Huh. It's not even in your Bible. And the father said, what do you mean? Certainly it is. And again, the son laughed and said, it's not in your Bible. You go ahead and show it to me. 
And so the old man fumbled through the Bible looking for the book of Jonah, but he couldn't find it. And so at last he looked at the table of contents, he found the proper page, and when he turned there, he discovered that the pages had been carefully cut out of the Bible. And, And the son said, Dad, I did it before I went away. He said to his dad, what's the difference whether I lose the book of Jonah through reading the works of non-believers or you lose it through not reading your Bible at all? And that's it. The reason that we have the whole Bible, you ever think about that? The reason we have the whole Bible is because we need it. Because we are living in the last of the last days. So I pray we would.